Hello and welcome to Golding On For Dear Life. I'm Asha Gold and this is my podcast where I talk to incredible artists and creatives about their journeys navigating the music industry and their own experiences with mental health. For this very first episode, I'm joined by the wonderful Cairo, a multifaceted artist blending genres to create honest and truthful tales from his life. We chat about growing up in East London, moving from being part of a boy band to becoming a totally independent artist and the challenges that he has overcome in his life. Be sure to check out his music later and for now I hope you enjoy our conversation. So I'm going to start the show every week or every however often it comes out the same way and ask you what was the last song that you listened to? Raw, the last song I listened to. You know what? Yeah, this is going to sound so strange, but bear <laughs> with me. I was in bed last night. We was having a, a, a bit of like a binge on like just weird things, but it was actually um, Talisa's version of Scream and Shout by Will I Am and Britney Spears. Because you know, like, you know, she um, she wrote it, like she co wrote it, and Will I Am, Did I don't know what happened. But yeah, like, so it was meant to be her song. And then the producer declined and then gave it to Will I Am. And Will I Am then put Britney on it, but no one credited Talisa. So Talisa's recently won like a five year legal battle getting like Stop publishing it. on it. Yeah. So I was just listening to Talisa being like, when you hear us in the club, we're going to turn it up. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. God, if all the songs I thought you were going to say it wasn't that. But I like it. Exactly. How about you? What was the last song you listened to? Oh, I've been listening to Jasmine Sullivan, that album. Oh, stop it. Stop it. Where are you based currently? Uh, I'm, based in, I'm based in East London in a place called Ilford. Uh, okay. That's me. And you grew up in East London, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I grew up, um, I grew up in a place called Cannon Town, uh, mm-hmm. which is in Newham. But um, there's just like a kind of spirit, a spirit in East London that yeah. I, um, I grew up with and just sort of love. So, um, and multiculturalism that I love. I guess this is a good time to kind of go then back to the start of your musical journey and growing up. And do you think like living in London, especially East London, as you say, like such a vibrant part of London, shaped your like life and shaped who you became as an artist and kind of inspired you in that way? Massively. Yeah. I mean, so like growing up where I grew up, there was actually, funny enough, so much inspiration and opportunity, which is a weird thing to say, because I think the presumption or the perceived notion, should I say, of like Londoners or inner city Londoners or people from ENDS or like the ghetto or whatever, whatever, however people contextualize it. Um, there's this idea that there's like a lack of opportunity, which there can be, and obviously mm-hmm. is in many places and schools and all that. But funny enough, I grew up in a time period probably just after the kind of early boom of like garage and grime. Mm. Um, and so whilst those people probably weren't making the money they should have been making and probably were still poor or hustling, what I saw as a young person was so many people who I knew or friends or family or cousins who were making it or what I believed was making it. Yeah. Um, and that bred for like loads and loads of opportunity and kind of just gave me so like, I, I, I was so aspirant as a kid. Like, I just always was like, yeah, man. Like, Kelly Lewatt can do it. Like, yeah, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Or, like, this one can do it. Or, like, Kane can do it. Or Griminal mm. can do it. I can... Do you know what I mean? There were just so many people, so... That sort of, like, 
community that you're talking about and like presence of music is so important and making you believe like this is real and this can be a career and you can pursue this I feel like where I grew up in West London I didn't have that at all because everyone was kind of get good grades and whatever get a good job Mm. um so it's quite tricky in a way to to start you have to kind of start from nowhere and you don't know you don't have like a friend of a friend whose manager is like oh I'll introduce you to this point it's kind of it's different but it's so good to be inspired by the people around you are those your kind of like earliest memories of music and yeah do you know what yeah actually um I think my early I've so I'm gonna sound so cliche and being like uh, like I've always sang I don't remember when I started and la 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 but truthfully I've always been I'd say from maybe like seven eight the singer of my family like I was always the entertainer should I say it wasn't even just a singer I was always the one to want to dance yeah. I was always the one to want to sing I was always the one who liked attention I was always chatting um and the area yeah the area that I grew up in was just so culturally dynamic and we didn't have much like most people were kind of poor like everyone was on the bread line so whether it was you were hustling in like a you know a hustle way to like make your money or your dreams were being a footballer you, everybody had big dreams and a kind of hustler's mentality mm. um and also there were just a lot of opportunities when I was young which I think is terrible now because so many of those like youth organizations like urban development and bigger fish and rising tide which are like youth groups, they're, they're like kind of closing down. But there were so many of those when I was a young a young kid where you could go on a Tuesday or a yeah. Wednesday after school and sing in a choir or backing vocals or whatever. Um, and I was in like all of those groups. like, And that was kind of what started me on my journey of kind of believing and understanding that there was a professional job to be had in music. And that was really early, like mm, 11, 10 sort of age. I knew that oh, I can work in music. Before I understood that I had to be like, you know, a Beyonce artist. Like, you know, like yeah. everybody's like, I want to be an artist and make it. I, I already saw the jobs that were songwriters. I saw the jobs that were backing vocalists. I saw mm-hmm. people doing like um, touring and tour managers. And I, I saw so many facets of this industry. So yeah. I kind of really had something to work towards in that regard. Yeah, and I guess kind of being surrounded by all of those people with different goals and you know on these programs like pursuing different elements kind of gave you a good like 360 degree knowledge of what goes into an artist project and has probably been quite helpful you know in your stages as an independent artist and doing your own strategy and planning your own shows and things like that Mm. yeah no massively that was I mean it's always it's always a hard thing to kind of get to that point where you you know have to identify your sound because it just ultimately takes time no matter who you are um but I think seeing it from really young kind of made me savvy to the difference of kind of the music business and you as an artist because they're different being whilst they they can conjoin they are different things you being a creative and figuring out who you are creatively and what you bring to the world is different from how that is sold. Selling that and being that are two different things. So I think I understood that aspect of it from, or didn't, I don't know if I understood, but I, I saw that aspect of it. um, The difference. The difference. Yeah. From an, from an early age. Yeah. It's tricky because a lot of people do get kind of, there's a lot of 
predatory figures you know in different ways and looking to get money out of things and you do have to be really savvy like how was your kind of experience coming into this industry and did you feel like it was a smooth transition and or were there things that you would have changed or kind of like decisions you maybe were pressured into like how how was it coming into the industry um I wouldn't say that I would change anything just because it's really hard to look back and change anything when you're where you are now um yeah but no I was not I I was nowhere near you know where I am now and when I was coming into the industry I didn't I didn't know that I was coming into the industry and we spoke about this you know when we first spoke this kind of idea that like you're in the industry is this kind of like magic line where you're like now Mm. in the industry it's it's a it, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything so only now looking back I realize that there were so many times I was I was already in the industry without knowing and so no I, I kind of ran into things head first and was you know I didn't understand much and there's so so many predatory people and this ultimately people are just trying to make a lot of money um yeah. and do the best they can but you have to also find the kind of value in yourself and that's a, a really hard thing to do that sometimes only takes kind of experience sometimes you just have to learn as you go yeah for sure and like right now are you independent or are you working with a label like what's your kind of yeah setup uh, I'm completely I'm a completely DIY like independent artist to like the mm-hmm. bone like pretty much yeah um you've been signed to a like was it a major label before or yeah so I was I was signed really young I was like 17 or 18 I think I was when I when we signed our first deal uh, and I was in a band uh, and it was a completely different completely different industry then really uh streaming for a start in for starters wasn't really a thing or you didn't make money out of it we were still people were still like torrenting and you know like all that kind of illegal download stuff um and so like the way to get into the music industry really you would just be shocked about like you would perform at loads of showcases industry showcases and then you would then you know get a manager and be shocked about the labels until a label decided they wanted you that's kind of how how it works at the time um and it's a completely different era now where you know we have streaming you have like independent distributors and you know independent pr companies independent radio companies you know that you can outsource and pay your money yourself and catch a playlist and have a hype Um, yeah and so i think looking back on it then in comparison to like now i'm way happier because the control uh an agency that i have now is just not something that i had then at all yeah yeah that must be just so liberating to kind of just absolutely have a handle on every aspect of each release and visual and your visuals are super distinctive and exciting as well so I imagine like a lot of planning comes into that and it just must be amazing feeling to see it all kind of come to fruition and think I did all of that you know from the start to the (laughs) end yeah no absolutely and I'm sure when well I've seen all your stuff as well and the same to you I'm sure you know this that feeling um mm-hmm. of just getting to the point where it's all your creation and it comes from you I think it makes it that much more gratifying when people connect with it just because you know that they're connecting wholly with you as a person whether it be that you're branding yourself as a person or whether it be that it comes from your heart they are connecting with something that you have done from from you know from the origins and from the beginning so 
it does make yeah. it more gratifying and the process and the journey of learning along the way is just you can't you can't really pay for that you know learning to figure out artwork or figure out a, a yeah. visual and all of that stuff every, is just every hurdle yeah absolutely it's so powerful now that independent artists are able to put out their music and kind of do that from the get-go um as you say with indie labels with anyone can distribute music it's not so mm. driven by the the majors and the powers that be so i think it's interesting what you say about the two eras yeah i think the i think what's really interesting about our time now is that what's happened with i obviously there's a big debate around streaming and numbers and pay and that that separate from that because obviously people should be paid songwriters should be getting paid more that's a fact mm -hmm. um but what's interesting about streaming is that um i think what it's given to a, a, a consumer is it's given people their right to their own taste like when you think of like the kind of x-factor era and like being kind of force-fed like each different member of one direction is meant to like represent you and like you have to like kind yeah, of yeah, be yeah. squidged into like that box versus now where you have playlist upon playlist you can create your own playlist of music you like music you enjoy music that represents you and that doesn't necessarily have to be the same for pop artists you know that's completely different music you can like tame impala and you can also like billy eilish you, you know it's it can completely be diverse um and i think that's made way for so many artists to thrive because it's allowed so many different genres and so many different types of people to be truly who they are and it's also allowed them to be heard um and yeah. so that's just a very exciting thing i think yeah massively and speaking of artists like billy eilish and in your writing and in your kind of like creative processes are there artists in particular that inspire you or is it just a massive kind of mix of names and yeah it's definitely like a massive mix of names because many mm. artists inspire me but i have ultimately like a few people who are just have been super inspired by Frank Ocean being one of them. Yeah. Um, I And I think it's funny because a lot of people say Frank Ocean and he has inspired, you know, generations of people and clearly a generation and a wave of R&B music. Similar to like Janae has done that as well and, and SZA's yeah. done that as well. People have very specific, they've kind of birthed people. Um, mm. But for me, being like a, a, a young queer black man, um, Frank Ocean has been so important because really before he even before he even said he was queer he was kind of articulating through metaphor and simile in his music my lived experience before i even really before i understood it like yeah um and that for me was so important and i think that's when i realized how powerful music is because it's not necessarily about you know music it's about the fact that it's a story music is a story music is words it's a manifestation and that's what i got from frank ocean and i think that the fact that he could do that in a in a, in a song and kind of create his own world is what i yeah. uh, that's that's the biggest inspiration i've got it's like i know that i've got to be unapologetically me because there is going to be someone out there who is yeah. really going to relate to that um that matters so yeah. yeah obviously but different but um as a kind of british asian young woman in yeah. an industry where there's there's like never really been that many artists that kind of look like me or that i see or that here no, for me even just being in the space and like creating and putting out music and pursuing this 
path is like well if I'm here then I'm hopefully showing somebody else that's thinking oh should I go for it should I, should I just go to uni and then get a job after that it's one of the most important things I think um and um just it's so interesting hearing particularly about your experience being South Asian because it's it's been so quiet you know it's been such a quiet I think mm-hmm. it was like Jay Sean at one point like do you know what I mean yeah. or something yeah like, like, for sure and that was like it for the longest time and so now to see you know like kind of the joy crooks and Ionizes and people as yourself exactly. and also just portraying you know I grew up in in East London and it's this multicultural a lot of uh South Asian people to see like kind of saris on like a red carpet um yeah like beautiful beautiful wear that yeah and, and to be worn by people who are of that culture Mm. Is is a, is so important and so necessary, and so you being here is just is so it's such a, it's such a thing, you know. It's, and yeah, that's I think and the I, things that as independent artists we have to remember the most, you know. Definitely, and as you say, like now with kind of more South Asian women, British Asians kind of coming through, it's like we have this diversity where also everyone represents themselves in a different way. As in, it's not like you have mm-hmm. to be marketed in this way if you're a British Asian woman, or you need to have yeah. this like you why don't you put some bangra sounds like so many people have said to me you know what's your usp or like let's let's merge r&b and bangra because that's gonna like make you stand out it's like no what if i want to you know pay tribute to it in different ways but it's just not what i want to create like sonically right now so it's nice to have that freedom to yeah. actually kind of you know not have to be marketable yeah. just not have to be boxed in yeah, and you shouldn't be. You don't ask like some casual white person to be to bloody do Cornish music. Do you know what I mean? Like... Yeah, no, enjoying just just being here. But so yeah, so this podcast um, is centered around obviously mental health um, in the industry and in just creative lines of work because I feel like it's a job um, and a space where there's a lot of alone time. There's a lot of pressure that you put on yourself. Um, there's a lot of doubt I definitely find like going through periods of just self-doubt and I've definitely felt like as I've kind of progressed with my artist project it's been harder on my mental health and I find myself comparing um so I guess we'll just start like it's such a weird time we've been in three lockdowns now um how have you kind of like how have you found it and how have you kept up your motivation? And even just like, if you feel like you haven't been productive, how have you kind of just looked after yourself in these lockdowns? I think it's just been really varied. Uh, I've really taken to trying to keep routines. So at the first lockdown, I was really trying to keep routines and, and be productive, productive, productive. But what I've since learned is that productive doesn't always mean on the go 24-7. You can be productive yeah. and take a rest day. You can be productive and chill, uh, contemplate, sit with it. Um, and so it was really good at the beginning on my like first release. It was it was actually great because it gave me time to think and really strategize and get everything done. And that was it was like go go go, and that mm-hmm. was really good. Uh, but then I kind of got like a you know like a post release blues type thing. Yeah, um, yeah. When it gets quieter. <laughs> Yeah, and I was just a bit like, oh, like I can't be bothered to. Th- I don't even. I don't even want to think about stuff. I don't even want to think about it. Like, yeah. um, and I've and I've learned that it's that's all right. Um, there's mm-hmm. ways to diversify, and I think that's kind of what I'm going into with this year because this year is still going to be a series of lockdowns, and so now it's like if I don't want to do 
music stuff on the day. That's cool. Let me try something else. And, you know, I've, I started sewing and then I was doing other things. And so I was like, okay. I'll do that. And then I'll do this. And that yeah. helps me to keep creative stimulus going um, and keep motivated. But it doesn't, I don't think you have to put so much pressure on yourself to always go, 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 if that makes sense. I agree. And also, I think like, it's so good that you can now recognize when actually today I'm not feeling writing or I'm not feeling creating content or whatever. And and then you kind of just commit to doing something else, even if you're committing to just chilling or you're committing to oh. five episodes of Bridgerton. Like what I find is <laughs> it's annoying when I'm like, I'm not feeling into working or, or writing and whatever. And I try and force myself to do it, but it's obviously not effective. It's not enjoyable. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, I've kind of just wasted a day where I should have just committed to doing something that I was going to actually enjoy. And then the next day I would have felt yeah. refreshed. And then you have these weird like feelings of guilt and it's like you're kind of neither nor, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the case with a lot of a lot of kind of self-employed people in general. Um, mm. the, the kind of self-motivation aspect of it is really hard. Um, and I think that's just there's been a light bulb on that even more so in this time period because we're kind of like, right, well, we really have to stay at home now. We can't busy ourselves with going to meetings. We can't busy ourselves with going to the studio. So we really yeah. have to, we have to make the day, we have to make the day worthwhile. It has to be worthwhile. Um, and mm. this idea that worthwhile only means to really be actively doing something when it, it doesn't. Worthwhile is also, you know, spending a day on Pinterest and just looking at what you like, you know, Absolutely. spending a day just scrolling or, or having really good and interesting conversations with your peers. All of that yeah. stuff is is equally as important as as you know the super productive days um and that's kind of the bit i've learned to deal with the most if i do things in small doses and i do things when i want to i find that that is the most effective for me yeah that's so so important and what i found is like i've definitely struggled with with these lockdowns and everything kind of being online and your whole campaign like being about your content and your, you know, plugging it to your audience and your followers and whatnot. I found that just having to spend so much time on social media and focus so much of my energy on the online world has been quite tiring. Um, and I found it mm. kind of like a lot of pressure looking at other people who have written this song on one day and I haven't achieved anything. Um, how have you found that with everything being more, as I say, like, on the online world and just being able to actively see what everyone's doing so much more? Um, I've really improved on that as of recent, um, I'd say in the last five months, because initially it was, I've never really been that person to super, super compare myself. Mm. Uh, maybe when I was really young, but then, then not at all. Uh, and I found, as you said, as I was online, online, I found myself comparing to a the most random people and the most random of things that like, you know like, oh this person's got this or 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 I've got this but how long am I going to have this for and and mm. why did I get this and what's the reason and why did they get that and whatever yeah. kind of things or why 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 am I my music's really specific is it too specific is it a bit different too different like yeah. and I realized that 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 you can't, you cannot, you just cannot live your life doing that because ultimately there's nothing positive in that. So no. uh, I actively, really actively try to not do that because I do think it also comes from a really self-serving place. Um, and I think that's because of social media. I think social media sort of forces us to really think about ourselves. Um, 
in comparison to other people, these kind of like algorithms like make us compare ourselves. But that's mm-hmm. self-serving. If so much, so much um, weight onto that person's doing this. So what am I doing? This one's doing that. What am I doing? Because it's telling us, oh, this person's doing this in Dubai and they've got a thousand likes, and you're not. You're doing this in England, and therefore you've only got two hundred likes. So we're we're yeah. literally equating our experiences to value. Um, mm. and we have got to actively really actively not do that because it's it's toxic for our mental health and it's it's toxic for our our careers and creativity um yeah and that's ultimately what keeps us sane. so I've, I've really actively tried to like stop doing that and just accept this is what's worked for me today this is what i've posted today i like yeah. it yeah loud and louder likes don't care about that yeah. do you know what i mean yeah 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 I yeah, so how, agree. how about you how have you found that yeah I found it difficult like I took a I took a couple of weeks off social media because I found like if any as you say like it was self-serving and I was wasting a lot of time or I was then feeling shit about seeing something that somebody else had done and thinking you know I haven't matched this this week um so I took some time off and that was really enjoyable but I think now I definitely am just looking at it more as a job you know, in my own lane, I plan out my mm. content a bit more now so that I can kind of a hold myself to it and it feels a bit yeah. more legit. I'm not just having like the idea of God, I haven't posted in four days or 10 days hanging over me. So I kind of map it out so I know what I'm going to do in a week and I know it's going to be quality and it's going to be stuff that I'm interested in that I would want to see. Um, so I think just doing those things has kind of just allowed me to focus on myself. And as you say, like, I'm going to post this sometimes it's frustrating when it doesn't get the engagement you want especially if you've put a lot of thought and love into it or it's something that you really want to share with people but at the end of the day like some people are reading that and um it's gonna like brighten up their day a little bit and and ultimately I also think that social media and uh, while it is our it's our job you know and, and we should take it as that which is our job we need engagement we need that I understand that but it's not personal and it really isn't personal because there's mm. this idea that if someone hasn't engaged with your post that they've not valued it and that's yeah. just so untrue like I I spend I personally do this like I literally go through social media literally like things in person like I'm like oh that looks great oh, oh they're doing mm. really good and I scroll like I don't even you know yeah. I don't engage with it because engagement doesn't actually account to it doesn't equate sorry to um how I actually feel about something. Yeah. Like sometimes I'm yeah. mindlessly liking things, you know? Um, yeah. And I think no, we do have right. to separate the real from that. That's not real. I, someone can like my video, someone can like my song without mm. needing to press the like button. Um, yeah, and they are so still engaging. Right. They may tell They may tell their mum. They may say, oh, did you know that Cairo has released something? Or, oh, did you know that, oh, that boy I went to school with, Cairo, oh, he's got this really good song. Oh, did you know he's, he's queer now? Oh, he's done this really great song. They might do that, and that is just as much yeah. engagement. Um, you're so right. We and shouldn't I think just take out face value. You know, yeah, yeah, you're mm, so right. Yeah, I think also one one of my kind of like, ah, uh, something that really upsets me sometimes is seeing all of these face filters on stories now on Insta, and I feel like this really yeah. took down. And all of these cute baby face, flawless skin. You know, like yeah. some of the filters. Are they're aesthetic I really like some of them but these ones that are mm. actually changing your features and smoothing out your skin and making your nose narrower it's like it's just gonna give people you know they're gonna then put on their normal camera and think oh my god I look awful 
Um, yeah, absolutely. You can't take what you see on social media at face value. But yeah, hopefully we can kind of be back in the live scene and doing gigs and having face to face interactions. And those are real moments of engagement, like, you know, if anything. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and it's so important to know that because it's kind of the idea of Spotify. People have this idea of streams and they are so I'm, I'm not undermining the value of being proud of the streams. I'm not a person to be like, oh, who cares about streams? I understand why you shouldn't put all your value in it. I also understand that you can't think someone's good because they have more streams or bad because they don't. But, you know, be proud of yourself for your streams. But the idea that kind of like people see that as like the epitome of, right, Mm -hmm. I've got these streams. These are my streams. And that means, therefore, I'm doing this amazing job. And it's like, well, but then you might not be able to sell a show. You might have 20 million plays and not be able to sell a show. Like, you know, or and maybe that's fine for you, maybe, but maybe that isn't fine for you. Maybe you're a person who has no streams and, and can captivate everyone in an audience. And it might not be that you have you can sell a show, but you might jump on a support slot and just honestly change people's lives in that audience. Like, yeah, so you know, right. Engagement is engagement is everything. Engagement is so many different things. And I think we're we're really being we use the word engagement like it's this kind of content creator catch-all word like oh engagement and we we don't even mean what engagement means we mean like engagement on algorithms and social media whereas engagement Mm. is literally us having a conversation you know having a really good conversation before I even ever heard your music with you on a on a you know a PR kind of conversation and and really enjoying your thoughts and enjoying what you Mm -hmm. had to say and that's a further context of who you are as an artist you know what I mean you're so right um, so away from like social media, then I guess if you're you know open to talking about, I guess some of the challenges, some of the things that have really challenged you as a person or as an artist in your lifetime, um, and kind of like I guess how you've overcome those things. It could be something really small, um, it could be something more continual, but yeah, how you have overcome that and also kind of grown from it, looked after yourself, and kind of yeah landed on the other side I suppose I would probably say coming out uh in terms of being like a young black male from inner city east London I find that I probably throughout my whole life really I was always concealing many parts of who I was I didn't know that I had no idea I was really doing it it was very it was very subconscious but it, it really permeated through all of my life. I kept friends separate. I'd had, you know, from family and so many different parts of my life were just fragmented. Um, and that was really to do with kind of my sexuality. Um, and that was really hard. I, I was in, a, I was in a, a boy band when I was younger. And looking back now, I, I had an amazing, it was an amazing experience, amazing time, lifelong friends, mm-hmm. you know. But looking back now, there was so much pressure to appear you know a very specific way and I would put so much pressure on myself to appear a very specific way like oh I'm I'm in a boy band I've got got to be laddie I've got to be I've got to be cool I've I've got to look good I've got I've got to be charming girls have got to like me you you know all of the kind of things um I didn't even realize I was putting those pressures on myself and had been really my whole life um and then coming into being an independent artist and my own stuff making that decision well, coming into realising my sexuality and understanding I'm a free and bi, bisexual, pansexual, however you identify. Um, and then, like, choosing to kind of do that publicly and, and feel and kind of, like, shed myself of the responsibility of all of that 
kind of compartmentalizing. Yeah. Uh, that that was has been to date probably the biggest thing for me in terms of my overall happiness in life. Really, really, just because it was so intrinsically linked with a self hatred, I really did not know that I was perpetuating. Mm. I really didn't. I really, I've always been really confident and, and and fun and vibrant and loud and all of that. Um, with this sort of inner darkness, with this sort of inner sadness, and really only within the last three-ish years, four years, I've started to really shed that. And because I've started to shed that, I can really see how that's permeated in my life. I can so see the habits I've had of self-hatred, you know, like the comparing yourself to everybody. Yeah. You know, stuff like that, or, or, or just automatically assuming you're not good enough in things. Or like being really concealed in like any of my achievements, not really telling people what I was doing because all of those self kind of self-esteem, self-hatred sort of things I had, a lot of it was to do with me not being fully comfortable with who I was. And so kind of doing that and coming out really musically, creatively, work-wise, mental health-wise has just com completely freed and opened up everything for me. And I, I can really see the benefits in like where I'm yeah. at today. That's amazing. That's so powerful. And do you find like with these lived experiences, is that what you write about in your music or do you kind of, I don't know, do you leave that to one side? Like how much do you let these questions of identity permeate your music, would you say, in your writing? Pretty much all, all of my writing really. Um, Funny, in terms yeah. of the music, yeah, in terms of the music I've been releasing, it's, it's really, and anything I've been writing, it's really all been about life experiences. Um, and kind of a mixture of both so I write predominantly about what I've what I've been through a lot of it is to do with my sexuality and, and my relations my kind of dealing with my queerness and my blackness and how that marries because culturally I'm from the Caribbean and it it, it it doesn't marry often yeah and finding that marriage within myself being proud to be black and proud to be queer uh, mm. and together not just a proud black man separate a black proud queer man both of them you know, together, um, that's a lot. That's a lot of what my music is really cathartic. It's really about kind of exploring that, and it's a way to get that out for me. Um, yeah. And then also, I'm a storyteller. I really enjoy kind of putting all of that into like metaphors and 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 creating a really visual story out out of those feelings. Um, um, sometimes mm. exaggerating the hell out of it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I have. It's it's really very much in my music, and it, it's been the most um, freeing thing it's the most gratifying part of of it for me yeah we're so lucky you're incredible and you're an amazing artist and your listeners are lucky and your fans and audience to kind of look up to you and see you so proud of every aspect of your identity in all of its hybridity so yeah just so powerful hearing you thank speak. you so much that's really really nice mm -hmm. thank you very much so I have a quick fire round for you, as I said. I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm nervous, man. Shit. Yeah. I'm <laughs> I hope. Yeah. No, none of them should be too controversial. Let's let's hope. Um, <laughs> all right. So yeah, I'm gonna just shout them out. Two options, and you got to tell me immediately what comes to mind. All right. Uh, okay. All right. I'm gonna Here we eyes. go. Deep breath. East London or West London? East London. Reggae or hip hop? Reggae. Britain's Got Talent or X Factor? Uh, Britain's Got Talent. Interesting. Walks or runs? 
Walks. Long ones. Beers or cocktails? Cocktails every day. Good nights or goodbyes? <laughs> Good nights. Sainsbury's or Tesco's? Tesco, cheaper. True. Clubs or house parties? House parties. Way more characters. Finally, silver or gold? Ah, oh, um, gold. Ah, uh, well. Good, gold. correct answer. Okay, Asher gold. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be. <laughs> Golding on for dear life, come be. on. It simply has to be on brand. I never questioned it, never doubted it. You, I mean, you definitely did question it. I saw it, but okay. <laughs> All right, and then just to kind of round up some questions that are so agonising for artists and music lovers, I know. If you had to listen to one album on repeat for the rest of the li- rest of your life, what would it be and why? Okay, so you killed me with this, um, so and sorry. I've struggled the whole time. Um, yeah, but I've I've had to stick with Frank Ocean, Channel Orange. I've had to do that. Yeah, even though I need you I to understand how horrible. How horrible a question this was for you to do to me because there's many, many an album. But yeah, just Frank, just yeah. because of the um, uh, the kind of emotional connection to like my coming of age with that record. So good choice, that good choice. Um, a song you wish you wrote for me. This is uh, "Needed Me" by Rihanna. I think just because oh, bad tune. Baddest energies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a proper bad energy. Um, a song <laughs> I wish I wrote. Honestly, it would be. Do you, do you listen to Moses Sumney? I don't actually. Oh, uh, he's. I mean, you re- okay, I'm gonna send you some. I'm gonna send you music after this. Um, but oh, yes. there's a song <laughs> called uh, "Lucky Me" on his new album Grey, and it is like okay. the just. So good. I mean, any song he's done, but lucky me, I'm going to go with Moses Sumney. How do you spell his last name? Just for the listeners. S-U-M-N-E-Y. Moses Sumney. S-U-M-N-E-Y. If you could have dinner with one artist. Oh, if I could have dinner with one artist, I mean, I would probably go with someone like Grace Jones, just because I would rather pick someone who has also a bit of a I want stories. I don't just want someone who's like really good. Like I really want stories that like, I want you to tell me what it was like at Studio 54. Mm-hmm. I want you to tell me like what it was like in like 25 different like sex orgy threesomes that you were in like in the 70s. Do you know what I mean? Like, I want you to tell me like so much of your life. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Grace Jones. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good answer. You'd be, you'd be there all night. Yeah. <laughs> but then just finally to round off um this episode a song that lifts your mood every time you step out on the street what makes you feel good what makes you feel powerful oh um well i really can't remember who sings this i feel like they're called the sounds of blackness and it's like as long as you keep your hands in the sky you can win oh Mm. oh it is sounds of blackness optimistic yeah, or Curtis Mayfield, the making of you. Oh, you're not allowed to. Oh, sorry, all right, all right, I'll curb it, I'll curb it. Come on. 
<laughs> I'm only kidding. Um, thank you so so much for being the official first guest of Golding On For Dear Life. Thank you pleasure. for having me. Thank you for having me. Honestly, it's been an amazing, amazing conversation. Amazing. And everybody check out Cairo. Um, you've got plenty of music out there, incredible visual visuals to accompany that. So if you're going to do one thing today, check them out. And have a yeah, lovely man. afternoon. Cheers. Thank you. You too. Thanks. Bye.